Uh, you want to throw that picture up there? Oh, it's coming. There we are. And uh, uh, my daughter on the right is Alyssa. She's 16. On the left is Hannah. She's 13. And Megan, kind of in the middle, she'll be 12 on Tuesday. And uh, I think it's kind of funny that Pastor Phil is also the dad of three daughters. And so we're just blessed guys. What can we say? And uh, it's a great joy being married to them. Uh, we've lived in Utah since 2004. Before Utah, we lived in El Paso, Texas, a luscious green place, if you've ever been there. Oh, wait, that's right. That's not true. Um, no, but we really loved living there and serving God, doing student ministry at the University of Texas, El Paso. And we were there for 11 years. And then we moved here in 2004. Currently, I'm the area director for InterVarsity Christian Fellowship. Um, some of you guys know what that is. Some of you don't. Uh, but InterVarsity is a college ministry. Our ministry and our goal is to reach out to college students and bring them the good news and the gospel of Jesus Christ on the secular campus. And that's what we do. Um, I have a, a whole team of staff that I work with. The next picture. And these are our staff uh, at the University of Utah, Weber State, and Boise State. And then there are five interns who are, they just graduated a year ago and they're giving one year of their young lives to see if doing campus ministry full-time might be a good fit for them. And, and it's kind of exciting because I think all five of them are planning on coming on staff. And so that means we get to reach more students on more campuses. Um, I really uh, appreciate the way that Mount Olympus Presbyterian Church has um, blessed our ministry and blessed our lives. Um, you may, may or may not know this, but InterVarsity is one of the ministries that this church supports with their missions giving. And uh, that support goes to support our staff at the University of Utah. Uh, right here in the front row, this is Spencer Sanders. Spencer, you want to stand up? Spencer is a staff worker at the U, the team leader, and he's overseeing the ministry there. And he's just been here a short while. He comes from Las Vegas, and we're really thrilled that he's here. And uh, he's doing a great job. We also have Allison Smith, who's working at the U, but she's focusing on Greek students. So she's been starting some small group Bible studies in some of the sororities and fraternities there. And we're really excited about that. So thank you to this church for helping support these guys and their labor of love on the campus. Um, This church has been faithful in praying for our ministry. Uh, Some in this room have provided host homes for students as they've come to the Salt Lake Valley to attend conferences that we have. Um, Some students from Boise and and, uh, up at Weber State will come and some of you have have housed them and provided meals for them. Uh, This church has provided scholarships for international students to attend a Christian camp where they study the scriptures and they learn about Jesus. And that is a beautiful thing. Thank you for doing that. Um, and I personally have appreciated uh, Pastor Phil and Nancy's just friendship and encouragement as I lead the ministry here. And sometimes things are great and encouraging and sometimes they're hard and discouraging. And Phil's always been very supportive and encouraging to me. So I appreciate that. And it's just an honor and a privilege to be able to bring God's word to you this morning. So if you could, uh, bow your heads with me and let's pray and turn this time over to God. Dear Lord, um, we just acknowledge that you are God and there is no one and nothing ever remotely close to you or who you are or how you are and what you do. And we just exalt you and lift you up this morning and invite you to come and to speak to us through your word, through the gospel of Mark. Give us um, eyes to see and ears to hear and minds and hearts that long to understand. In the name of Jesus, amen. 
I'm going to read our text this morning. It's out of the Gospel of Mark, chapter 4, verses 1 through 20. I'm going to be reading from the NIV version. It goes like this. And again, Jesus began to teach by the lake. The crowd that gathered around him was so large that he got into a boat and sat in it out on the, out on the lake while all the people were along the shore at the water's edge. He taught them many things by parables and in his teaching said, Listen, a farmer went out to sow his seed. And as he was scattering the seed, some seed fell along the path and the birds came and ate it up. Some fell on rocky places where it did not have much soil. It sprang up quickly because the soil was shallow. But when the sun came up, the plants were scorched and they withered because they had no root. Other seed fell among thorns, which grew up and choked the plants so that they did not bear grain. And still other seed fell on good soil. It came up, grew, and produced a crop. Some multiplying 30, some 60, some 100 times. Then Jesus said, whoever has ears to hear, let him hear. When he was alone, the twelve and the others around him asked about the parables. And he told them, the secret of the kingdom of God has been given to you. But to those on the outside, everything is said in parables so that they may be ever seeing but never perceiving and ever hearing but never understanding. Otherwise, they might turn and be forgiven. Then Jesus said to them, Don't you understand this parable? How then will you understand any parable? The farmer sows the word. Some people are like seed along the path where the word is sown. As soon as they hear it, um, as soon as they hear it, Satan comes and takes away the word that was sown in them. Others, like seed sown on rocky places, hear the word and at once receive it with joy. But since they have no root, they last only a short time. When trouble or persecution comes because of the word, they quickly fall away. Still others, like seeds sown among thorns, hear the word. But the worries of life, the deceitfulness of wealth, and the desires for other things come in and choke the word, making it unfruitful. Others, like seeds sown on good soil, hear the word and accept it and produce a crop. Some thirty some 60 and some 100 times what was sown. In uh, Mark chapters 1 through 3, a whole bunch of crazy things have happened, right? So it starts out in Mark chapter 1. Um, John the Baptist comes proclaiming who Jesus is. Uh, we see Jesus' baptism. And Jesus makes this amazing declaration. He says, the kingdom of God has come near. Um, soon after that, he, he starts calling individuals, different men, to come and follow him. He starts to cast out demons. He starts to heal people with various diseases. He takes time and escapes away to a lonely place where it's quiet so he can pray. He travels throughout Galilee in, in his preaching. He cleansed a leper of his leprosy. He made a paralyzed man get up and walk, and then he told him that his sins were forgiven. Well, that created a storm. Jesus had confronted the religious establishment of the day. And people were amazed at what they were seeing. Jesus had dined with a tax collector named Levi. 
and his sinful friends, much to the chagrin of the religious leaders. Jesus had declared that he had authority to forgive sins and that he was even Lord of the Sabbath. Great throngs of people followed him because he had been healing many and casting out demons. And in chapter 3, he chose 12 of all those people that were following him. He chose 12 that they might be with him. So those are all cool and exciting things, right? And, on, and then what happens in chapter 3? His family thinks he's out of his mind. And to make it worse, the religious leaders say, that guy, Jesus, is possessed by the devil. So kind of a crazy three chapters. And then we come to this chapter, chapter 4. This huge group of people are pressing in on Jesus. He's at the shore of the Sea of Galilee. And it's just this mass of people and they're pressing in on him. And so what does he do? He gets into a fishing boat and they push it, they push it out just a bit into the water. And he's speaking to this huge crowd of people, probably in the thousands of people. And what does he do? He tells them a story. He tells them a parable. A story about a farmer who sows seed. A story about four different kinds of soil. And how does he begin his story? He begins with a challenge, with an exhortation. He says, listen! He's getting their attention. Listen! And then he goes and he tells this story about the man who sows the seed. It's interesting to note also how he ends the story. At the end of his little parable, of his little story, he says this. In verse 9 he says, Whoever has ears to hear, let him hear. Whoever has ears to hear, let him hear. What does that mean? It means whoever has ears to understand or desire to understand, to perceive or to consider what is being said, let that person understand. Let them perceive. Let them consider what they're hearing. All this listening and hearing talk, it's quite interesting. A good friend of mine who's a very good Bible teacher, uh, we were studying this once and he said, did you notice that Jesus puts the burden on the hearers? I'm like, what do you mean? Well, so many times in our culture, we put the burden on whoever's speaking. Well, they better do a good job. And if they do a good job, if they're creative and clever and dynamic and charismatic, whatever, then I might get something out of it. But Jesus doesn't do that. Jesus says, listen, people. And then when he says, if you have ears to hear, then, then you should listen and understand. He puts the burden on the hearers. It's the hearer's job to get something out of it. Not necessarily the speaker's. And I thought that was pretty interesting. And Jesus is basically saying, if you have a heart and a mind, a desire to understand, then you will. But if you don't, you won't, no matter how good the speaker is. So then Jesus um, finishes his story, and the 12 that he had called, the disciples, come over to him along with a group of other folks. It doesn't say how many, but it says, and others came with them. And what did they do? They said, um... Jesus, what, what did the story mean? 
What did this story about the farm and the soils help us understand? What does it mean? Now, I think Jesus' response to them is quite interesting in verse 11. They ask, what does the story mean? And Jesus says, the secret of the kingdom of God has been given to you. (laughs) No, we, we ask what the story means, you know. And he says, the secret of the kingdom of God has been given to you. The secret of the kingdom of God, what's that? Why is it given to them and not to the multitude? Was it given to the twelve because he had chosen them to be his disciples? Is that, is that why he told them? Well, the text says there were others that were there besides the twelve that were given the secret of the kingdom of God. So it certainly couldn't be just because they were the disciples. So it was, it was offered to more people. Why is it given to them? What did this group of people do that no one else in the crowd had done? Why is Jesus telling them the secret? I love this. It's pretty simple. Jesus tells them the secret of the kingdom of God because they asked. They wanted to know. They inquired. They wanted to understand. They were engaged. They said, Jesus, what are you talking about? And so he explained the parable to them. And the mystery was revealed. Those who come to Jesus and ask... And respond, inherit the kingdom of God. Isn't that cool? Those who listen, those who ask, those who respond, inherit the kingdom of God. Remember when Jesus in Luke chapter 11, remember when he said this, he said, So I say to you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks, receives. Everyone who seeks, finds. And to the one who knocks, the door will be opened. That's what Jesus said to the people. The the kingdom, the secret of the kingdom is available to all who ask. All who seek. It is not limited by race or education, by language, social status, or gender. Anyone and everyone who earnestly seeks, asks, and desires to know. Jesus will will get Jesus and they will understand the gospel because they want to know. They will get what they seek. Isn't it wonderful that we serve a God who encourages us to ask questions, who invites us to ask questions? I don't know if you've noticed this, but I've noticed that religion tends to be afraid of questions. Religion discourages people from asking too many questions and especially don't ask the hard questions. But Jesus, if you're here this morning and you're a skeptic or a cynic, I hope that you love this. Because this should be like water to your soul that Jesus says, ask. Ask the hard questions. Ask me what it means. Ask me how it works. What an amazing thing. Jesus rewards Those who ask. Then he goes on in verses 11 and 12, and he says some interesting things. He says, But to those on the outside, everything is said in parables. So that, and then it's a quote from Isaiah chapter 6, they may be ever seeing but never perceiving, and ever hearing but never understanding. 
Otherwise, they might turn and be forgiven. So two questions come up to me out of this question. Those on the outside, to them, everything is said in parables. Outside? Who's outside? Uh, Jesus, are you saying there are insiders and outsiders? Well, that doesn't sound very nice, Jesus. We thought you were loving everyone's included Jesus, you know, kind of warm and fuzzy Jesus. But Jesus is making a distinction here. According to the text, he says, to you has been given the secret of the kingdom. To those on the outside, everything is said in parables. Now, as Americans, we're, we, we, a lot of people, a lot of us, we don't like that. We're like, Jesus, it should be, everyone's on the inside. No one's on the outside. We don't like that. But that's what Jesus says to these guys. To you it has been given. To those on the outside, it's in parables. And then, is it saying that Jesus doesn't want those on the outside to know? Is that what it's saying? That he doesn't want them to know him or to know the truth? Well, I don't think that's possible. Because that's just not what Jesus or God is like. He doesn't hide things from people that want to know. And if we go on to the next, uh, the next section in Mark chapter 4, verse 21, Jesus says this. He says, Do you bring in a lamp to put it under a bowl or under a bed? Instead, don't you put it on its stand? For, and this is key, for whatever is hidden is meant to be disclosed. And whatever is concealed is meant to be brought out into the open. Again, if anyone has ears to hear, let them hear. Jesus isn't hiding anything from anybody. And he doesn't want people to be in the dark. But these parables, these stories, serve to kind of sift the crowd. So he throws out a story. And remember, this is the Jesus that's casting out demons, healing sick people, doing all kinds of crazy stuff. And he tells a story. And some people are like, oh, that's a quaint little story. Uh, when's he going to do another trick? Right? But other people are like, wait a second. There's something, there's probably something to that story that I'm not getting. I'm going to go ask him, hey Jesus, what's up with the story? Can you help me understand this? I don't know. I want to know. What are, you, what are you saying? You see the difference? And so the parable kind of brings out these two groups of people. And, and that's what we see. Jesus tells them that this parable is key to understanding all the parables. So the seed in the parable is the word. And remember in John 1, it says the word was who? The word is the same as Jesus, right? The logos. So the word, or Jesus, is sown, is spread among the people. And the people respond to the word. The people respond to Jesus in various ways. It's always been that way. I think it always will be that way. And that's what this parable is about. Some people, represented by the first soil, are indifferent. They just don't care. At the University of Utah and Weber State University and a Boise State University, campuses where we have InterVarsity chapters, our staff and our students sow the Word of God. We love doing it. We love to talk to people about Jesus. We've got a photo. I don't know if you can go to that photo up there, bro. Uh, um, not the last one. There's back a couple with the black, like the sign they're pointing to someone, should be right after that one. There you go. So like this is a, a picture of a, what we call a proxy station, which is an, an interactive evangelistic kind of tool. We set up in the middle of campus at the U, Weber, Boise, and we talk to people about the gospel message about Jesus. And some students come and they talk and they like this young person and they hear and they're really 
Like, this is really cool. But you know what? Most young people at these colleges, you know what they do? They walk right by. They don't even care. They don't want to know. They're indifferent. They go on their way, ignoring the life-giving word of God and ignoring Jesus. Annie may have an enthusiastic initial response to the word of God at an InterVarsity event. You see our next picture here. This is doing an outreach table. There's Spencer and Allison, and they're talking with students. And they make, that, that, that student, Annie, may come and be like, this is great. Oh, the Bible study and the worship and the, this was awesome. I can't wait to come back. Right? They'll have that kind of response. And then, you know what, son? We'll never see her again. What happened? What happened? Well, when I run into her on campus and ask how she's doing, she squirms and a little uncomfortable as she tells me just how busy she is. Then there are students like Damon who dive into our community of believers. They get involved in a small group. They come to our conferences. They're really excited about following Jesus. Damon is a faithful and eager guy until a girl in his dorm named Mindy comes into his life. She's not a follower of Jesus, but she is interested in Damon, and Damon falls for her. How many young men and women have I seen over the past 20 years of campus ministry who have had their spiritual lives completely derailed by misguided desire for relationships, for a boyfriend or for a girlfriend? I've seen it many, many, many times. Others, though, have decided that the 4.0 is more important and more critical to their future success than an intimate relationship with Jesus. Yes, the word Jesus himself is told to take a back seat to the God of success. And then there are students like Melissa, whose hearts are desirous of Jesus above all things. They long to know, they desire understanding They study, they ask, they pursue, they want to know Jesus. Their love for Jesus causes them to make their decisions in the light of his teaching. There's another photograph of the the whole group. This is a picture of our recent trilogy conference we had in in the end of October. 140 students from Weber State, Boise State, and the U got together for a weekend. These kids spent $100 of their own money. They gave up an entire weekend to go and learn about Jesus. To learn about following Jesus as a college student in 2011 in Utah and in southern Idaho. They want to learn. You know, we can all be like one of these four soils. I don't think we should think of this parable as, here's these three groups of people and they're all lost. The first soil, or the hard soil, the, the shallow soil, and the weedy soil. They're all lost and the last group, they're saved. I don't think that's the way we should probably understand it. That, that, that may be part of it. But I think t- what we need to see is that this parable describes the propensity of the human heart to respond to Jesus and the presence of God and the Word of God in a whole variety of ways. And I'll be honest that I myself have been these different soils at different times in my life. There are times when I am really quite oblivious to the Word of God or I'm not paying attention or I don't care. There are times when I'm indifferent and have no desire to understand. There are other times when I eagerly accept the word of God, but I'm then easily turned away when things get hard or when I'm discouraged. Then there are times when I'm very engaged, learning, growing, and open to Jesus, 
But it seems like during these times, it is not uncommon for me to be seduced by fears, worries, or desires for other things, thus rendering that season of my life unfruitful. And then there are times when I, by the grace of God, hear the word, accept the word, and it produces fruit in my life. You know, the fascinating thing about this parable is that this parable is a living parable. This parable is actually happening right now. It happens every time the word of God is proclaimed. Every time the gospel is spoken, this parable plays out. For example, on a Sunday, Pastor Phil may come up here and give a great sermon on forgiveness. The importance of forgiveness according to the gospel. The importance of granting forgiveness and the the importance of asking for forgiveness when we have hurt other people. And everybody hears the sermon. And then one, for, one person here, we'll call him Bill, um, never heard a word. All they heard was blah, 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 Pastor Phil, blah, 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 blah. And he leaves. And all he really thought about in the whole sermon, the whole time he was at church was, I wonder if the Cowboys are winning today. Right? Then there's another person, we'll call her Jill, and she was quite enthusiastic and deeply moved by Pastor Phil's sermon on forgiveness and thought about her mother whom she needed to forgive. But as she got home and had to deal with her cantankerous mother, that's a good word, isn't it? Cantankerous, I like it. It's free, free. Um, The crucial teachings of Jesus about forgiveness fade into the background, and she returns to a life of frustration and bitterness. Then there's Sam. Sam really loved Phil's sermon and took it to heart. He knew he uh, needed to ask his oldest son for forgiveness for the harsh ways in which he had been treating him. But Sam accepted a promotion at work that required him to work on Sundays. The important lessons, uh, and so he no longer attended church on Sundays. The important lessons on forgiveness were no longer heard or reinforced. And so the confession and the asking of forgiveness never happened. His career took off, but his soul withered. Then there's Angie. Angie heard the teachings on forgiveness. And she went to the scriptures. She went to the Bible to say, what else does the Bible say about forgiveness? What else do I need to understand? What else do I need to know? And she sought out help in knowing how to actually forgive and how to ask for forgiveness. And she's doing it. And fruit is being produced in her life. Do you see that? In this service, that is happening right now. Every service, every time, every church, whether it's on campus, the proclamation of the gospel, in a small group Bible study, this parable unfolds. You know, I was thinking, um, why did people come to Jesus? People came for a whole variety of reasons. Some because they thought they could get something to eat, some to see a miracle, some needed healing, some to have a demon cast out, some to see a freak show. Um, Some came because they wanted to understand truth. Some came because they wanted to know Jesus himself. People come to Jesus for a variety of reasons. What about you? Why do you come to church? Why do I come to church? Is it because we're looking for friends? Maybe we come out of a sense of duty that any good, respectable, upstanding citizen should go to church. Maybe we come just to see what we can get out of it. It's all about me. Maybe you come here looking for a girlfriend or a boyfriend or a spouse. Maybe you come looking for business contacts. You're networking. 
But maybe you come because you're seeking truth. Truth about life. Truth about God. Truth about purpose and meaning. Maybe you come because you're captivated by Jesus. As you've read the Bible, you've prayed, you've been taken by Him. And you are impressed with this amazing, compelling person. This God become man. This Redeemer, this Savior, this Shepherd. This Healer, this Revolutionary this rescuer and you are taken by him and you say I want to know him there are many reasons that people come to church what brings you how receptive is your heart and my heart to God and his word how deep into your soul does the word of God go if upon reflection you determine that you are most like one of the first three soils then what do you do what do you do if you're a hard soil or a shallow soil or a rocky soil Can anything be done for a hard-packed soil? Can anything be done for a shallow, weedy, or shallow, rocky soil? Can anything be done for a weedy soil? As a former farmer and horticulturist, I would say that a soil cannot really fix itself. The farmer needs to fix the soil. On land I farmed once in Mexico, people would cut across my fields for a shortcut because they were too lazy, they didn't want to walk around. And it beat down these paths. It was hard to grow things where the people had trampled and and compacted the soil. So what did I have to do? I had to get out a pick or a tractor with big ripping blades and go and, and break it all up. It was hard work. The farmer has to do it. The soil can't do it to itself. You know, what I'm talking about is not a do more and try harder kind of thing. That's what religion says. Religion says do more, try harder. What I'm inviting you to do is let God do a work in your soul, a deep work in your soul, to take the hard places and make them soft, to make the compacted soil and make it fertile ground. Allow God to work a deep work in your soul. So maybe that's you. Maybe your heart and soul have been hardened towards the things of God. Maybe your openness towards God has been trampled down by hardship and disappointment. What can you do? Here's what I would recommend. I recommend that you pray. You say something like this, God... Will you tear up that part of my heart and mind that has been beat down and become unreceptive to your word and to you? Will you heal the wounds in my soul that have produced this hardness? Make my heart, my spirit, my mind, my whole being good and fertile soil. Come, Lord, and fix me. Ask God to do this so that the seeds of the word of God And the message of the gospel can go deep into your heart and mind. And it can transform you. Can the rocky, shallow soil be fixed? I believe it can. What are the rocks in your soil? A lack of desire to know, apathy, disinterest, indifference, a lack of spiritual depth, a lack of conviction and concern for truth. Can the soil thick with choking weeds be dealt with? I think it can. What are the weeds in your soul that choke out the Word of God? The text talks about things like worry, fear, greed, materialism. Sometimes there are things in our lives that choke out the Word of God, idolatrous things, things that we have made more important than God Himself. What are the things in your life that get most of your time, energy, and resources? That's probably your God. Maybe it's those things. So what can be done with these things? What can be done with our shallow, rocky, and weedy souls? Remember, Jesus said, Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. 
For everyone who asks, receives. The one who seeks, finds. And the one who knocks, the door will be opened. Call out to God. Ask Him to remove the rocks and the weeds. Invite Him to remove those things that make for a shallow spirituality and that choke out the work of God in you. Let Him do a transformative work in the soil of your soul. He will do it. He can do it. Only He can do it. Will you ask Him to do such a work? What kind of person lives a fruitful, abundant life? Jesus says it is the person who hears the word and accepts it. These persons, they pay careful, they pay careful attention to God's word, asking what it means, letting it penetrate their hearts and their minds, and allowing it to produce fruit in their lives. O oh Lord, would you give us the wisdom and grace to hear your word and to accept it? Would you heal our hearts and minds, breaking up the hard soil, removing the rocks and destroying the weeds? Would you also empower us all to be people who sow your word in all that we do? Amen.